you're, you're really coming in with what you think about me, what you think about my family, what you think about how I operate, how I operate in the world. Not what you know, because you've talked to me, not because you know, because you've asked questions, not because you know, because you've given me that space and opportunity. There's this caricature almost in people's brains that come around race. And instead of allowing the person to express who they actually are. What do events, news, and culture tell us about how to be more effective at training and communicating? Whether you're in compliance, HR, risk, or general management, effective and ethical leadership requires two things, a consistent, dependable process, and eight specific mindsets that keep you real and salient to your audience. Welcome to the Eight Mindsets Podcast. So we have Veronique Porter on the Eight Mindsets show this week, and I'm delighted to have Veronique, and I'm going to let her introduce herself. But let me tell you why I was thrilled to get her on the podcast, because Veronique, like me, works with many teams in global organization, and she changes the way that people think. Now, Jason and I have concentrated very much on how people think about compliance and how people think about ethics and how people think about, um, you know, ESG and modern slavery, ban these words around. But what we try to do is we break it down and actually get to understand what we actually mean by this. And I think that within this space, there's a conversation that we need to be having around being well-meaning, being well-intentioned, trying to do the right thing, because we all go to work, we all get up and try to do the right thing. It is very rare for somebody to turn around and say, I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm just going to treat people badly today. I'm going to do the wrong thing. I'm going to act without integrity. It doesn't usually happen. However, we get it wrong. And this is where Veronique's work comes in. So I'm going to let her introduce herself and then we're going to have a chat and then we're going to get some amazing action points and hopefully tools and resources and things that you can take away to use in your organization. Veronique, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Honestly, that was a really wonderful kind of setup for this whole thing. Uh, and I'm super excited to be here. So again, my name is Veronique Porter, and I am the founder and, as I like to say, lead educator at Ampersand Workspace. And what I like to do is help people turn values around progressive race and gender issues into action that they can put into their lives. Uh, and I love that idea of, you know, changing how we think because that really does feed into how we act and how our behaviors show up, uh, especially in the workplace, but honestly, in all aspects of our life. So I'm really excited to kind of talk about the ways in which we as humans fail in regard to race and gender things and how we might be able to more actively think about moving forward more progressively and you know, being nicer to our colleagues and our friends, <laughs> our coworkers in ways that we might not have thought that we were going, being wrong or mean before. Amazing. And just, I'm really interested before we kind of get into the content and then give people some <clears throat> meaningful information. I would love to find out your backstory. Mm. Like we've all got a backstory. Like, why are you here today? Why are you doing what you do? You know, that um, what is was the trigger for you? That's a fun question. And I'm not sure that there was like one 
trigger. I will say that I grew up in Chicago, Illinois, uh, and I'm a Black American woman. And Chicago is one of the most diverse cities in America. However, it is also one of the most segregated, always has been. And so I grew up around people who look just like me. And, you know, there are definitely times in which I interacted with, you know, folks that were different racially, right? And, you know, along the gender lines as well. But I think really like as I got out and started exploring the world more and seeing how I was received and seeing how my peers who were also black were received, how we're talked about, the kind of preconceived notions that come along with just having dark skin in America and what that looks like. Yeah. It really started, I started to have more and more of these conversations, to be honest. Uh, I went to a predominantly white college. I was in the middle of the United States in the middle of nowhere. And these conversations just had to be had. And I actually really enjoyed, you know, giving people different perspectives to think about. And so for the longest yep. time, I was in a completely different career track. I was working in international developments uh, and wow. really excited about that track. And just recently within the past year, like did a full pivot into this work that I, I feel like I've not feel like I have been doing uh, kind of unofficially for so long. All the things that I offer, all the things that I talk about, these are the things that I'm like reading about that I'm, you know, talking about with my friends that I'm studying that I, that you know, make me passionate. These are things I'm passionate about. So it was kind of, it, it felt like a click where it was like, this is what I need to be doing now because I enjoy it so much. And because I think that it, in some ways I've honed it so for so long over a course of time that now I'm, I'm really ready to put these skills out into the world, not just to my friends and family, not just to my neighbors and people that I encounter, but maybe larger, maybe launch a larger platform in which folks can really start to think about these things differently. And it's not to demonize or to call names, but like you said, it's about changing how we think so we can change our behaviors. Mm, I love that. And I think there's a certain amount, and I really, I think a really valuable piece of work for organizations is to take away the shame about mm. doing something wrong mm. or to take away the whole idea of, there's a right and a wrong way. Like, you know, it's not, I think, I think there is more to it than that. I think there's an educated way and an uneducated way rather than a right or wrong way. Because as I said, people don't come to work trying to do the wrong thing. Right. Like, and it's not only about having to tiptoe around somebody because it could even be even worse. Yeah. Like I better not say anything to her because, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. She yeah, was one that, yeah. No, I'm sorry. I, I completely agree with that that aspect of taking away some of this bad and right because of the shame around it. And mm. I talk about this a lot in my work because oftentimes people feel this deep discomfort, particularly, I mean, around gender for sure, mm. but particularly mm. around race. Like there's just mm. this deep discomfort of even like waddling into the the, the waters of race. And mm. so I think if we remove some of that, where it's like there, we have differences that we have not been able to reconcile as a society, as a culture, mm. as a global world, we have not been able yeah. to reconcile and we're working on it. And so if you make a mistake, it's not the end of the world. You're not a horrible, bad person. You're not irredeemable. It's really about you made a mistake. You apologize. You try to write that mistake. Period. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's not about, for example, um, I am Jewish and... I I think I'd be hard pressed to get too offended by people 
who speak about like um do you mind if i eat this piece of bacon in front of you absolutely not i eat bacon i don't care um that's not going to upset me or um yeah so i i think but there are certain things that i actually do find quite um i'd say more than irritating mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, like i for example you guys all your life all your lives you've just been you know you've been treated so badly you guys you've been treated so badly um you know you've always been run out of every single country etc etc or the other one is um you know you're good at this because you're jewish or you're a lawyer so or you must have money because you're jewish etc that whole idea of i've attached a stereotype to who you are your people yes are this kind of people mm-hmm. so your people stick together yeah which mm-hmm. is a big thing like you know you want promotion you because your up. people stick together yeah i love you brought that up because oftentimes we think if it's a good stereotype then mm-hmm. i'm not wrong for thinking it i'm not wrong for saying it i mean what's the problem with being associated with money what's the problem yeah. with being associated with prestige or you know like what's the problem with yeah. that the problem with that is that you're not getting to know me you're not mm. getting to know my story and my family. You're, you're really coming in with what you think about me, what you think about my family, what you think about how I operate, how I operate in the world. Not what you know because you've talked to me, not because you know because you've asked questions, not because you know because you've given me that space and opportunity. There's this caricature almost in people's brains that come around race. And instead of allowing the person to express who they actually are, the caricature gets in the way. You can't even see me for who I am. You can only see a black woman. They can't see you for who you are. They can only see that you're Jewish. And so there's no space for actual Nicole. There's no space for actual Veronique because the caricature is already in the way and taking up all the room. I love, I just love the way that you put that. That's so useful. And I think, I guess that's kind of where that whole well-meaning thing starts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm trying mm-hmm. to be nice. I'm trying to talk to you. I'm trying to include you. Trying like, to connect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm trying to connect. So, and and actually, have you even asked me whether mm. because I'm black, I want to play basketball? Like, mm. have you mm. asked me, or are you just assuming, well, or that I can sing all the stereotypes around it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or actually, do you know who I am? And I think, you know, that whole idea of, and it's almost people also just trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to help you. I'm, you know, I'm trying to be nice to you. I'm trying to talk to you. And it's that perception, um, I guess. So mm-hmm. let's, 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 let's get into this. Let's, I'd yeah. love to hear from you in your experience, working with teams, working with organizations, the kind of things that I, I always like to think about it as a bridge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a big gap in the bridge with water <laughs> and you kind of got to jump over the bridge and you start at one side of the bridge with a particular thought process. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you get to, to the other side, you've jumped over and at the end of the session or at the end of the education, your thoughts and beliefs about that has completely changed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have that aha moment. You don't fall in that water, in that river of confusion and just carry on swimming around doing the wrong thing. So I would love to hear from you, like in your experience, the kind of attitudes and beliefs that you have heard from teams 
and the way that has changed and evolved? Yeah, I think before, um, you know, we talk about diversity, for example, in the workplace. Yeah. Um, before, I think that was a thing where it wasn't as pressed upon. And it, it was just one of those things that's where like, this is just how it is. These are the candidates we have. It's the location. It's, you yeah. know, the qualifications or whatever. And now that we're having a more dynamic conversation around, you know, not just who are we hiring, but when they get in here, yeah. Are they feeling welcome? Are they feeling like this is a place that they can thrive? Are they feeling like they yeah. can express their full selves at work, even if there's difference between their colleagues or the rest of the team in a way that uh, they feel comfortable with and in a way that is accepted in the culture? So not just hiring people, bringing people in diversity for the yeah. sake of numbers and appearance, yeah. but what does the culture look like and how inclusive is that culture, mm-hmm. right? So that's one aspect of it. And then I think the other aspect is uh, we're really talking about, you know, before equality was a big thing. We, we want to make everyone equal. We want to give everyone the same opportunities. We want to go about all of this the same way. And now equity is becoming more mm-hmm. a part of the conversation where it's like people don't necessarily need the same things. And so how can we make everyone, how can we put, give the opportunity for everyone to be on the same level, but give you what you need, which is very different than what I need. How can we yeah. go about this in a way that works for everyone while also meeting those individual or group needs in a way that actually caters to them as opposed to just throwing solutions out. So that's, I think, uh, where a lot of these more dynamic conversations are coming out of this need for real inclusion, this need for equity and and meeting people where they are and really giving them what they need in order to thrive. Um, I think ideally that's beautiful, right? Like, and and we're coming at it from an angle where it's like, all right, this is what we're trying to do. And there's a lot more movement and a lot more momentum behind that. But like you said, that change takes a long time and oftentimes we make mistakes and we mm. think we're going about it in the right way, but we make mistakes. So I'll tell you a story. This is like, you know, a lot of what I'm going to think mention is like microaggression is what we say. These yep. things that again, super well-intended uh, people aren't thinking that they're coming up, you know, coming at you crazy. They're not saying anything offensive. They're trying to connect, but in a way that again, doesn't necessarily include that person. Uh, it yeah. might be coming from a more equity, uh, excuse me, a quality aspect as opposed to equity. So for example, uh, I have a colleague who uh, is in a, a meeting, a Zoom meeting uh, to do a plan for an event with their work. This is not really yeah. related to itself. It's an event. Uh, they volunteer to be here along with 14 other people. The person who's leading the meeting uh, basically is taking on all the responsibility for the planning. So there's not a lot of space for everybody else, but they're there. They're like, let's, what can we do to support, right? She's like, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll do that. But what I really need support with is, I don't know, something as simple as like icebreakers. Like I, I need icebreaker support. So, mm-hmm. you know, one person chimes up and says, yeah, I'll, I'll have, you know, I'll help with icebreakers. It's like, great. And then at the end of this call, they turn to the only person of color in the room, a black woman, black American woman, and they go, well, everyone else was on camera and you weren't. And we're going to come back to that. And so, you know, this colleague says, you know, couldn't be on camera at the moment, but, you know, I'm here. I'm definitely, mm-hmm. you know, ready mm-hmm. to help out. Mm-hmm. If I can help out with icebreakers, yep. well, sure. Happy to do yep. that. So like, yep. great. And it's like, uh, so they refer to her as like this nickname that they've given her. Uh, and she kind of is like, 
I don't even know if they're talking to me because I don't I don't go by that nickname, right? It's like calling yeah. me V. If I, ha- I mean, I say to people all the time to call yeah. me V, but if I haven't given you that yeah. license, like for you to just make them like, yeah. are you referring to me? So she was kind of thrown off by that. Uh, and she was like, oh, you know, I, I hesitated to respond because I didn't realize that you were talking to me. And she's like, well, how did you not realize? Like, isn't that your name? And she's like, actually, no, that's not. Uh, and so she's like, well, that's not a nickname that people call you. And you know, the woman says, no, my colleague is like, that's not a nickname people call me. You just go by my whole name. And uh, this colleague goes, well, what does your mother call you then? So there's some levels to this. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> so my colleague responds with, uh, depends on the day and the time and leaves it at that very gracefully. I really commend her for this. But there, there's some levels to this. Part number one is this idea of like, you're berating or calling out this woman of color over anyone else in front of the group, this, this public call out, which in some ways is unnecessary. The meeting's over, you've gotten your accomplishments, whatever you needed. And if you really felt some type of way about, you know, her being or not being on camera, you could say like, next time y'all, let's all be on camera. You could pull her aside later. You could send her a message. Mm-hmm. I'd really prefer if you're on camera. Are you okay? Is everything going all right? Like anything. Other than this, like, well, everybody else is on camera right now. Why aren't you on camera? There's yeah. no, there's nothing productive about that. That's not going to help the team move mm. forward. And, mm-hmm. you know, that person feels called out. Now, I bring this up in the context of race and gender because this often happens to women in the workplace, uh, this, this, mm-hmm. this public calling out, and particularly mm-hmm. uh, people of color and women of color, right? So, like, when we talk mm-hmm. about these intersectionalities, women of color are just getting this a lot more. So there's that aspect yeah. of the story, right? And then this other aspect is this, you know, very well-intentioned, like I'm trying to connect with you, like I've given you this cute little nickname, even though we clearly don't have that sort of professional working relationship. Um, But like not with, you haven't given me a nickname with my input. You haven't talked to me about it. You're just like deciding to give me Mm -hmm. this nickname. And when my colleague pushes back and again, very gentle pushback, like, oh, you know, I, I usually go by my whole name. I didn't recognize that you were referring to me because that's not how, you know, like all these things, very gentle, very, you know, that's not me. I'm I'm very clearly saying that is not me. And to continue to push to try to like, well, what does your mom call you? Well, you know, how is that not a nickname for you? All these things. (laughs) And this is not like, she has a regular, you know, non-complicated name. Like I think Veronique, you know, trips people up because it's French. This woman's name is very simple, two syllable, common name that could be any race, right? Um, and so it's not like it's a difficult name, but this is also something that people encounter, uh, again, people of color specifically, where it's like, if they have a name that feels uncomfortable in some way, they have a name that people aren't used to, then it's like this idea that you're forced to come up with some sort of nickname. Why? Yeah. Why can't we just learn my name? Yeah. I think that's a really, really valuable Point, just a, a lesson a learning moment and I just want to just take a second just to break that down because you mentioned a number of things that I think mm. are so valuable and I'm going to put these in the show notes but you talk about microaggression mm. and they're, they're things that if you kind of weren't looking out for it you might not know it's there but if you're mm-hmm. a recipient you know it's there you can feel yeah. it yeah Mm-hmm. That's it's aimed at you. Mm-hmm. It's those little tiny jabs. That and they're are very so white. Yeah, they feel mm-hmm. like like the person who's receiving them. And you know, microaggressions aren't just race or gender related. Like they mm-hmm. can be, 
you know, religion related. They could be nationality related. Like they're all these, again, we're talking about preconceived notions that people come with. And then they come out sometimes in the form of microaggressions where, again, the person's not intending to necessarily do any harm. And they're like, that wasn't my intention. But yeah, that person who's receiving it, it's enough for them to feel uncomfortable. It's enough for mm. them to feel ill at ease. And mm. it's not like, it's not a huge thing. It's not a big aggression. But if you're having so many of those every day, every week, every month at work, then you're just completely ill at ease. Um, yeah. yeah. And you're not part of the conversation. You're mm. on the side of the conversation. Yeah. Mm. So I don't, in this case, I can't even say your name properly because mm. it's not a name that I'm used to saying. Mm-hmm. So I'm That's struggling with it. So instead of turning mm-hmm. around, as I do quite often, and struggle and start to say, I'm really sorry, can we just, <laughs> can I just ensure that I'm going to say your name correctly? Oh, like I, I will actually mean. just spell it out mm-hmm. and say it. And like, I'm really sorry. I want to get mm-hmm. it right. Can we just go through mm-hmm. it again? Yeah. And then yeah. I will repeat it a few times and I'm fine because I deal with many people from around the world. So I have to, you know, I, I have to just be vulnerable and struggle. Mm-hmm. But I find mm-hmm. that it has got some integrity to it. I'm being honest. Boom. Boom. <laughs> you're it. human. Um, you, you can't yeah, fully recognize yeah. it. You're Boom. Yeah, that's it. That's it. But I think that whole kind of, oh, it's, just, it's, it's almost like it's too hard. Mm. You're not like everyone else here. I think that that's yeah. a huge statement, isn't it? Like, yeah, I'm not going to say your whole name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to say your whole name. And I think that's, but at the same time, I just want to say, because I really like the idea that she, she kind of went, I didn't know that name. I, I don't know who you're talking to. <laughs> and I just want to say that there's, I think there's a, a part that your colleague has done so well. And I think that people don't often it's not even the confidence, it's just more the knowledge to do this. Mm. And that is to set boundaries. Mm. I love that. You see, I feel like, or I think that the only way that we go forward in life is to actually say what is okay and what is not okay with us. Mm. In a way that's not, you know, we're not shaming people, we're just making it very clear. Yeah. And I think I can imagine that there are times at work when people when people are going, actually, I, I I don't know why people call me this name. It's not my name. I've just yeah. earned it over the years. Um, and actually, I don't want to be that name. Mm-hmm. But I think they also have to say something. I think they have to turn around and say, my name is whatever it is. Yeah. Thank you very much. I'd appreciate it if you use my full name. So I agree and disagree at the same time. Uh, I think personally, yep. we have to set boundaries for ourselves, especially at work. And there is a more com- there is a bigger conversation happening around that these days, especially with what they're calling quiet quitting, right? And basically, yeah. my interpretation of quiet quitting is absolutely what you said. It's boundaries. Ah, it, yeah. You know, I'm going to yeah. set boundaries around my time. I'm going to make sure that I'm doing what my scope of work is and not more. I'm not going to seek out other opportunities that I'm not being yeah. paid for yeah. knowledgeable. So they're boundaries, yeah. right? They're work boundaries, which I appreciate. Mm. And so, and I always advocate for personally people doing this. Here's the tricky part for these marginalized mm. identities in the workplace is that speaking up often means putting a target on your back because instead of me as a manager dealing with my discomfort 
and just keep asking you, like, I'm going to get it yeah. right, but remind me one more time what your name is. Instead, yeah. if that person speaks up, they might be labeled difficult. Instead, mm. there might be a, well, I don't know what it is, but I just don't feel like they're a team player. Mm. Yeah. Whatever the, the thing is. Yeah. Instead of yeah. dealing with my discomfort yeah. around my human frailties and in, in pronouncing mm. hard names, and I use hard in quotations because they're just different names. Yeah. But instead of yeah. me, you know, really dealing with my human frailty around that, now I've turned it into their problem. It's 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 a them thing. Mm. It's them being a problem, being in this environment, not fitting in. And now I'm going to make things harder for them because this discomfort, every time I see them, every time I have to work with them, is going to come up. And I think that's what's happening a lot with people of color and women and women of color in these environments Mm -hmm. is really, even if they speak, even the fear of speaking up, even if they haven't done it before, the Mm -hmm. fear of speaking up is enough because they've seen it happen to other people. They've had it happen to them and other environments or other workplaces Mm. so the fear of that is enough and then there are people that have experienced it myself included where I have tried to set boundaries I have you know tried to speak up for myself and it absolutely put a target on my back and we're not talking about well-intentioned stuff at that point we're talking about full-on you know we're talking about a bad culture so so I guess and the 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 um antidote for this mm. all comes down to culture yeah mm. so it comes down to like i i would i would assume like you would be talking to your people to the teams or people you're working with about time from the top like real like having sessions with people like you having mm. sessions where we talk about how we interact at work, yeah. where we break it down, mm-hmm. where we share scenarios. Yes. Scenarios are pointed at anybody, but we just share scenarios and break mm-hmm. it down and try to identify how the other person is feeling. You know, it's really interesting, actually. I will never forget, I was um, a young lawyer working in London, and mm-hmm. I was pretty I was pretty good at my job, I thought I was. I was an employment lawyer, and I got given all the really juicy stuff. Okay. And um, one day, uh, the... Global, the, the head of HR, the HR director, lovely woman, amazing woman. Um, she said, said to me, Nicole, um, there's a person that we need to make redundant. Mm. And I said, okay, so tell me the story and tell me about it. And she told me the story. And I said, okay, so we do this, this, and this. We just, and she said to me the following. She said, okay. And this is the thing that changed the way I worked forever. Because mm. I was right in my legal analysis of what to do. But she turned around to me and said, how do you think they're going to feel when you tell him that, Nicole? That's what I said. And you know what? If I wasn't sitting down, I would have been sitting down. (laughs) If I was standing up, I would have had to sit down. Like it was that moment. I was like, now I understand why you're sitting in that chair and I'm sitting in this chair. Like (laughs) I am not worthy at this point because this utter knowledge and wisdom about the human condition yeah like what you might be right but how are they going to feel and then let's say we did say that I can't even remember what I'd said to say to him actually I haven't got a clue I just I obviously didn't say it (laughs) but here's the thing like that culture would pervade it yeah so he would have told other people and whatever else so the point is is that Treating people with dignity and respect comes down to more than 
it, it comes down to thinking about the other person as a person mm. rather mm-hmm. than just as a task or a process or a, yeah you know it or a member of the team mm-hmm. it is a person within the team with yeah. feelings with a personality and it's not that we have to um walk on eggshells it's no, actually the opposite it's I, I don't think i think we just need to be honest mm-hmm. and um and so i think there's a lot about you know um i think i think there's a lot about not trying to put ourselves in other people's shoes because we can't always do that i can't walk i can't walk where, you, where you've walked before yeah but i can turn around and say i've spoken to you for long enough now that I think I have an idea or I haven't spoken to you before at all. So I mm. have no idea, but there's something that I am considering you yeah, rather than just considering myself. And I think yeah. Jason and I talk a lot in the eight mindsets about being learner centric. And what we say is, look, mm. if you want to teach anybody anything, don't tell them your message, tell them a message they want to hear. Like, and you're helping um, them so, yeah, I want. I want to. I want to. I want to hear. I want to say something that is going to relate and resonate with you. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to, sh- if I'm going to share something that is is important to me, I better make sure that there's not a massive jump for you to understand that. So right. let's start with you, and that's, that's about being learner centric. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This whole time you were talking, I was thinking, you know, about yeah, coming at this from axing and learning intellectual curiosity about mm. another person and not making them you know an object or a subject to learn but this idea of like I want to learn about you I want to interact with you in an authentic way and some of that is just yeah. being around each other and some of that is actually wanting like genuinely wanting to to bridge that gap and so yeah. it's people where, I often say all the time you know I, I like to meet people where they are but the only way I can figure out where they are is to talk to them, to ask them questions. And then yeah. from there, then, you know, we can make some leaps. Like we can move through this journey together. But you have to know where people are by talking to them, by figuring them out. That takes time. It takes effort. Yeah. And from there, that's how you can move the needle. That's how you can progress. Yeah. But you, you can't skip the steps. You can't just go yeah. in with what you know. And yeah you're the absolute authority on, you know, what this other person is or what they've gone through or their experiences. Mm. It's really about just coming at it from a angle, an angle of, of openness and learning. Mm. I love that. You're not the absolute authority on, on someone else because we're yeah. not. And mm-hmm. there's another area that I'm really interested in. And you spoke, I love what you spoke about between the difference between equality and equity. Mm. equity is a very a very very legal term and i love it because mm. it overrides everything fairness yeah after everything else is it equitable it's such a great legal argument so mm-hmm. i love that i love that you raised it and i want to talk about diversity mm. because i love diversity i love people who challenge me who think mm-hmm. differently to me who look mm-hmm. at life differently to me and have different experiences Absolutely, me too. And I, my product, my work, myself, my life, everything's better because of diversity. If I have everybody who sounds, looks, talks like me, if I have everyone who agrees with me, I happen to have, um, I I think I have um, a successful relationship with my partner because 
she very rarely agrees with me. She always mm-hmm. challenges me about everything. Mm-hmm. So that to me is really valuable. Yeah, because I don't stay, I don't plateau. So I think about diversity in that way. Um, and so I love diversity for that reason. And I think I have worked with organizations even many years ago who would think about diversity as growth yes. and diverse opinions. And I I really, I want to like make that something more prominent, like uh, have a conversation about that because I think that definition is very powerful as opposed mm. to having a diverse workforce, mm. which means I have people who are men, women, you know, binary, non-binary, um, different colors, Asian. I just, that to me doesn't mean anything. That's like, yeah, and, absolutely. because we absolutely. can all have exactly the same opinion. Like that's mm. not interesting. <laughs> like, yeah, so I'm, I'm really, I'm really interested in how you approach that with the organizations you work with yeah. and, and whether you help them with that question about what is diversity. Yeah, I think part of what I end up doing with organizations is not looking at diversity as far as checking a box or numbers, right? It yeah. does have to be the way you said it, like people-centric. It has to be focused on the person themselves. What is this person bringing to our teams that we lack? So oftentimes, yeah. I think people all the time to start with, like when we're talking about diverse, it, it's not cold for people of color. It's not cold for yeah. LGBTQ+. It's not cold for, yeah. you know, something that yeah. feels yeah. different yeah. to you because that's your identity. So I'm like, yeah. when you say diversity, it, it has to be about who's in the room and who's not, who's excluded yeah. from the room, whether purposely or, or by mistake, who's excluded from the room and why. Mm. And once you're having that angle of, mm. especially when you start to hire, mm. when you start to partner with organizations, when you start to come up with events to do, who's in the room, who's excluded, not why they're excluded, not if it's malicious or not, who's excluded, and then the why. And once you yeah, start to think okay. about that, I think it really comes down to what someone else has to offer to help you grow. I, I do think diversity mm. is about, you know, pushing us beyond our bounds. We, when we look at the numbers about diverse teams and people see if you have more women, it's like, you know, 30% more diverse, uh, 30% more productive yeah. and creative and innovative. And, you know, and people look at those numbers and like, how is that? And like you said, it comes back to this diversity of mm. thoughts, diversity mm. of experiences, diversity of education. All of this is this amalgamation of things. And I think when you come from starker differences, then you're, of course, the idea is that it's built in that you're going to be more diverse. But that is a purposeful thing. And that you, again, we have to learn about this candidate. We have to learn about this organization mm-hmm. that we're partnering with. We have to learn about this community that we're going to do an event in and figure out if that's actually true. Do they think the same way? Do they look the same way? Do they operate the same way? And yeah. so, it's, so it's a curation diversity has to be, not just I'm checking a box because I have a Black person. Yeah. And, and you know where I think that's really important to help people with is boards. Because I think mm. that especially with the ESG and the S and ESG and diversity from, from that. So boards need to have more women, more women yeah. in leadership. We need to have more people of colour. Well. We need to have mm-hmm. a management, yeah. Um, and I I just think it's not about more men, more women. It's just the best person for the job. I've always felt that. Mm. And importantly, 
here's the thing. Just because I am a white male, age 55, and wear a tie, does not mean that I am going to be I am going to be the perception of a very conservative, very traditional, mm-hmm. very risk adverse. I could be somebody who is incredibly entrepreneurial in my thinking, innovative. Um, you know, I could have, you know, many different things in my life that you know nothing about just because yeah. I wear a suit. Yeah. And I can have interests that go beyond what you could ever imagine. Um, Mm -hmm. I could be, you know, or I could be, you know, um, you think that I'm somebody who's very conservative, but I'm just not, um, I'm actually, you know, so I think, I think there's that kind of, I I love the idea of looking beyond the person, looking beyond your own characterization of a person, your own stereotype of that person and finding out about who they are. And within a board culture, because I think this is a really interesting conversation, how would you suggest, because we have all the, the normal questions that we're asked, you know, let's go onto your LinkedIn profile, let's look at your background, who you worked with, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, you've been at Deloitte, you've done this, you've done that. But what are the deeper areas that you would love to see people dig into? So I think this goes back to what you mentioned before, which I often, it comes up all the time when I'm talking with organizations, this idea of, I just want the best person for the job. We all do. Of course, that's the whole point of the process is to find the best person for the job. But we have to unpack that because sometimes saying I want the best person for the job is fitting into this idea that you already have in your head. And so Mm -hmm. I think we have to unpack what the best person for the job actually means. So, for example, when you're creating the job description or the position description, there's usually a, a type of person that you have imagined in your head. Again, whether it's purposeful or accidental, that's just how we operate as humans, right? We have a person in our mm-hmm. head. So we're like, they have to have this sort of education and this mm-hmm. many years of experience and this sort of insight. And yeah. that particular person, it, you know, in some ways it helps you weed out, but is it weeding yeah. out the, the differences that you might be blind mm-hmm. to, that you might not have considered mm-hmm. before? So I think even before the, the process of searching starts, you have to pull back. And you have to say, okay, what results do we want? And what does this person mm. have to have in order to get that result, get those results, as opposed to this is the profile that we want. Because the profile usually fits in with everyone else that's in the room already. It fits yeah. in with the organization as is. So if you pull back and say, what are the results? And then what are the various ways we can get to these results? Yeah. That's gonna improve the description itself. And then when you're going out. And you say, you have to purposely say, I don't you know, want to do the same old typical traditional ways of putting this out, whether it's word of mouth mm-hmm. from my buddies, mm-hmm. whether it's just, you know, one mm-hmm. LinkedIn post, whatever ways that, in which you're kind of mm-hmm. scouting, recruiting, looking for people. Because in that way, it's a passive way of just accepting whatever applications come in. And if you're doing it all the traditional ways with a traditional profile, you're going to get traditional candidates. The candidates that look like everybody else yeah. is on the board. yeah. Yeah, so in order so to about, get different results, you yeah. got to do something different. That means you have to put this out in different places. That means you have to maybe reach out to different organizations that have, again, the kind of profiles that are different because you've done it based on a results approach. Yeah. And so you're, yeah. you're starting with a, a, a wider cast of a profile. Yeah. From there, you're also doing something different as far as how you're putting this information out there, how you're marketing these folks. 
how you're marketing your position to these folks, excuse me. Mm. And that way you're going to get diverse candidates because you've gone about Mm. looking for diverse candidates. You've diversified your profile. You've diversified your Mm. search methods. And then when it comes down to interviewing, and then again, you're now you're like, okay, we got a a diverse set of folks in front of us. I'm not going to gravitate towards the white dude or in my case, but I'm not going to gravitate towards the black woman automatically. Who's in the room? Who's excluded and why? And then also, what are they adding to this that we need? What, what And that's how you have to look at each top candidate. You know, at that point, you're at, mm-hmm. what, five, two to five candidates, right? Mm-hmm. What could this person provide to our team that we don't already have? Because at that point, all of those candidates are clearly qualified. All those candidates have jobbed well enough to reach the finals. So, like, they can fit in the culture. They have the things to get you to your results. So yeah. how do you differentiate between those top two to five yeah. top candidates, right? Yeah. What is it that they're offering that we don't have already? So that question is so much is so much more powerful than how do we get the best person for the job? That because is so much more powerful. Yeah. If you're yeah, looking yeah. at like, again, they have the qualifications, so they they've met the job mm. description, and mm. they mm. any of these two to five could be the best person for the jobs. Mm. Well, how do you differentiate? Yeah. How do you decide? And then it has to yeah. come down to not the qualifications, but yeah rounding out the team but actually let's unpack that Mm. so let's just go back a little Uh, and I don't I want to kind of talk about women in the workplace um around children and everything but let's just in in a in a in a a slightly different way but let's just say we do have somebody who's in a workplace Mm. who is going for a board role who wants to get into the board role but they didn't get as senior as other women uh, or as other candidates, um, and they took some time out. However, mm-hmm. just because their career didn't grow quite as much, their experience is amazing. Mm-hmm. They have amazing experience. They're incredibly well-read. They've got a huge passion for the topic that they are, that 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 you need on, on the board. Um, they didn't get really, really high up in the company, but they've been doing it for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And that is... Maybe because they took five years off, um, not off work completely, but they just took five years and they just spent more time with the kids, were just mm-hmm. around, didn't try to juggle everything, worked maybe three days a week rather than, you know, six days, et cetera, et cetera, whatever it was, yeah? So then we have we have somebody who doesn't have every single credential um, and that isn't doesn't, you know, meet the kind of I was a CFO I was on, on the exec team but mm-hmm. has incredibly powerful experience um I guess there's two questions there is mm-hmm. firstly how do you think that there's an education process with boards to help them out looking for candidates of that type number one and number two how do those candidates I guess what would your advice be for those candidates to mm. not just turn around and say, I don't have enough experience? Because I think there's, and I think I think this is a really, really important conversation for yeah. everyone out there who went, oh, but I didn't quite get to there, so now I can't do it. Yeah. No, I love that particular example. And I think it's a worthwhile one because contextualizing as much as you can, these sort of, theoretical ideas is really important so yeah let's let's take this this mom who yeah. took off time for her family 
is clearly very passionate about this field, clearly has experience in this field, right? But yeah, it wasn't on the executive management team or anything like that before they, they took this time off. I think if you, if everybody, again, we go back to this idea of who's in the room and who's not. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and what does, what do we actually need versus the profile mm-hmm. we created in our head? Mm-hmm. Does everybody on the team need to be a CFO? Because if that's the case, yeah. there's no thought, right? Yeah. Does yeah. everybody on the team need to have been an executive for 10 years in order to reach the board? How is it that you're going to be able to connect to the clients, mm. the partners, the staff members that look like this woman Mm. that are at the level of this woman you can't you have that one point of view and if you surround yourself by everyone else who does then it defeats the purpose you don't get the results that you really want you can't connect to the organization you can't connect to the staff members you can't connect to the clients in a Mm. way and the partners in a way Mm. that resonates because all you have is everyone around you in an echo chamber so i would say to the board that again, they have to go back to you know this what they're looking for and say this woman clearly has technical expertise in this regard because she worked in this regard. She clearly has life experience. Well, she always talk about it in regard to school. How you know if you go back for higher degrees or you know any sort of thing, this life experience helps. But we actually do have to value that in the workplace and say mm-hmm. she has life experience now. She has skills now that she can contribute to this, and she looks and acts and lives like other staff members. Like yeah. other partners, yeah. Like yeah. other clients, yeah. So that's from their point of view, right? Yeah. Where you really have to broaden up what they're looking for and make sure that they're trying to add that diversity of thought to the room. So there's that element, mm-hmm. but then that second part to you know the individual is that we do have life experience. We do have, you know, I often say to my sister, like we have multitudes, right? We're not just, yeah. You know, I'm not just a DEI person, like. I have multitudes, right? There are so many mm. interests and skills that I have that I could have applied anywhere else. And I decided to put them here. And I think that's how we have to think about ourselves. We have mm. multitudes that mm. we could have applied in another round that we could have put towards this thing, but instead we've decided to put it here. So to that mom, to that staff member, who's like, this is what I would like. I think they have to make sure that they're translating directly, clearly, mm. transparently mm. how they're, work experience, a professional experience, their interests, even mm. that time off perfectly aligns with what they need. Mm. Not even necessarily what they want, but what they need on the board. I know what this yeah. position feels and I already got them skills because I've done it in this context and I've done it in that context. Mm. I yeah. know what this position entails yeah. and I know that y'all don't have that angle from my experience mm. in the workplace. And that's what I can offer you Mm. and being able to directly, you know, make that line. And honestly, a no, you know, we talked earlier a little bit about failure, this idea we have to move past past failure in order Mm. to reach success. We never get an immediate yes. And if we do, Mm. it's it's less uh, savory. It's less worthwhile. When you really yeah. have to push yeah. up, you really have to like show and prove. You learn so much yeah. about yourself. You learn so much about the process. You learn yeah. about the world. Turn that into what you're doing in that position. So just because you got one no, mm. maybe that yeah. wasn't the environment or the culture for you. Yeah. And maybe you need to go to somebody who values and recognizes all those skills and experiences and ways in which you're directly saying, this is this is what I offer. This is my value to the board, to this position, to this organization. You want somebody who can, not only as you've laid it out, but who can also see that vision for you, for the board, for the organization. 
So if that person says no, you want somebody who can see that and you keep at it until you find that person. Yeah. Or that board yeah. or that organization. Yeah. I love that. And I want to, I want to flip that conversation as well to talk about women at work mm. who don't have children. So I'm, I, for many years, I didn't have children up until my yeah. early forties. So I was that woman at work who mm-hmm. honestly didn't really care about having children. Didn't get it. Didn't understand it. Couldn't talk to you about breastfeeding, nappies, childcare subsidies. I didn't get anything. All my mm-hmm. friends were talking about it, and I was just honestly sitting there, not knowing what on earth they were talking about. And then I would um, so, and then I would work till late at night. I go to wine bar afterwards, come home, um, get up early the next morning, go to work, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat until I stopped doing that. But. I really think that I got trapped in a cycle of, well, I don't have children, so I should. Ooh. I don't have, yeah. And I don't, I think it was so subtle, even mm. for me to even pick up that that was my thought process. Mm-hmm. And so, but here's the point is I had, without knowing it, I had developed a belief system that was you either have children, and therefore you work less and you struggle more in your career or you don't have a career and you go and have children. Yeah. I think it was kind of like, those, those were very, my very black and white thinking yeah. that had been ingrained and nobody had told me that I just had to observe things and that was it. Yeah. But here's the point. Now I look back and say, well, one second, I did have a life outside of work very much a life outside of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was not always pursuing that because I felt like, well, I can do it. And I think that could just be also, I want to bring it up because I feel it's a conversation that people need to hear mm. about women who don't have children, but that doesn't necessarily make them different. It's just a different life choice. That is diversity in itself. Yeah. But they should be valued for their life choices just as much as anybody with children. Yeah. Um, and I think I, I think that whole kind of there's not a line. Why cannot why can I not be ambitious with children? Mm. Why do I have to be ambitious if I don't have children? Yeah. So I wanna first off, I wanna say, uh confessions. Uh I am a childless professional and a childless ambitious professional. Uh I plan to stay that way. Uh I'm gonna live my best auntie life forever. <laughs> that's it. That's but, it. That's it. What you've expressed is not in a vacuum. It's not unique to you. And it's not that you just magically made this up in your brain, right? Like society as a whole has in a lot of ways subtly reinforced this idea of young folks, childless folks automatically get to work harder. And we, you know, some managers will even say it flat out. Like, you know, I got to go to my kids, which there's no excuse for you to not keep working. And that's like, very Mm. overtly kind of toxic behavior but even in environments where it's not overt that way again as a global society we've pushed that i just have to tell everybody that just as veronique was saying that that Absolute, I've got to tell you this, <laughs> critical points, Zoom decided to throw her out of the room. Thank oh, goodness she I'm came so back. Sorry. Within goodness. seconds, 
that was that was a cliffhanger. Oh yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> that was a great cliffhanger. <laughs> but Thank you, I- Zoom. As soon as she gets the important parts too, they're like, and no. Uh, uh, okay. And the person who did it was, uh, uh, gone. Sorry, continue. It's gone. No, but we've all been conditioned and, and kind of told in that way that certain people get ahead. And, and I, you know, I'm not one of those people that needs to like, you know, blame patriarchy for everything, but it is something that is rooted historically in this idea that men don't have to bear children. And so yeah. they can work longer, they can work harder, they move up the management chain. And part of the barriers, and it still persists as a barrier, in workplaces not wanting to invest in women is this idea that mm-hmm. they might have to take time off to at least birth mm-hmm. the kid, if not mm-hmm. take time off to be with their child, or they might decide that they don't want to like be in the, the work room anymore. And so... You know, now as a modern woman, we're still dealing with some of the leftovers of that in that, okay, well, I don't have kids, so now I can, like, follow this, like, typically ambitious thread, this typically ambitious chain, what we thought is the way we should go about these things. And I think that's just unfair for everybody concerned. It's unfair for the women who have or have not, don't have children, and and this kind of criteria of, like, what ambitious has to look like. But it's also unfair for the yeah. men. What about the men who want yeah. to take time off to be with their children? What about mm-hmm. men who also, you know, decide that this isn't for them because they've, they've taken a different path? We act as if that's not a thing that happens, but it's, it's, it does. And so yeah. as a society created these kind of archetypes for staff that these women are like this, these women are like that. And it excludes the men completely because we just assume that they're if they're ambitious, they're on a certain path anyway because they don't have to bear yeah. the child. So, you know, what you thought and experience is not in a vacuum. It's been Mm -hmm. subtly and, you know, in some ways not so subtly reinforced time and time again that this is how you go about ambition. And I would definitely say to any person, man, woman, non-binary, that it's really about carving your own path of what ambition looks like. Mm -hmm. And if anything, Mm -hmm. entrepreneurship and even just this idea of... um, how we operate in a modern world with boundaries and prioritizing other aspects of our life besides work. We, we just have mm. to make our own definitions of what ambition looks like, of what a career looks like, of what that path mm. looks like mm. and be satisfied with it for ourselves yeah. and break yeah. out whatever norms we think are acceptable. And I think, I think that's important for organizations to hear. I think is very, very, very important to hear is that, again, it comes back to what you're saying is that we are human, we are individuals, please treat me like one. Yes. Don't, don't try to put me in a category of, yeah. oh, you know, you're 30 and you want to have children or you're 40 and you want to have children or you're getting married so you want to have children or you're not having children. Like all, mm-hmm. all of those kind of conversations. I think, I think, um, and I think it's just, you know, I always talk about pre-framing as well. Like mm. if you're a manager and you want to have a conversation, like like it's, it's not the, the old days, it'd be go to HR and HR will tell you what you can say. But we have so far mm-hmm. moved ahead of that now. Yeah, like yeah. HR don't do that anymore. HR and our business partners, they're, they, they're strategic. They don't mm. advise on, you know, on 
on that anymore. That's that that's a whole you know different world of HR now. So I think I think managers need to be upskilled in this language and how they speak to people. And I think yeah. you know I'm just interested in the advice that you would give to a manager or male or female who is having a conversation with an individual in their team about their career and, you know, whether they can say, Hey, you know, what do you want your life mm-hmm. to look like? You know, what, what is yeah. it? What, what is it that's, that's okay now to say? I mean, I think there are two sides of that. And I think honestly, um, the responsibility, the bulk of it, if you will, lies with the manager. And I say that yeah. not because I think they're superhuman beings, but because they are the people who create, if not also uphold this, the culture, yeah. Yeah. right? Like they're the ones that are the gatekeepers and they're, you know, perpetuating the culture. That's literally the nature yeah. of their role in some ways, enforcing, upholding, all of that. And so the manager has to really be set up an environment, a culture, if you will, even if it's a micro team mm-hmm. culture that says you can come to me about your path, even if it is not aligned with the company interest, if you will. Right. So like if I yeah. say I actually decided I do want to have kids, I, you know, give up auntie life. Yeah. I'll actually have some kids. Um, but that means that, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to take time off next year when this big mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. event happens or that means yep. that you know the company wanted me to stay on and move on to the yep. track but actually i'm thinking yep. a little differently for myself that manager has to set up an environment where that employee that staff may not perfectly align with what the company wants but as a staff member who's a part of the company this is a part of my journey and my path so I think, you know, I've, I've oftentimes advised individuals, especially, you know, my colleagues, my friends, you have to do what's best for you if the company is only watching out for what's best for them. Yeah. But what we want in the best ideal world, the company is, you know, of course, trying to, you know, make a better bottom line, but they're doing that in a people-centered way. And if that's the case, then you can also come at them in a people-centered way and say, I'm giving you a heads up because it's better for the company. I'm not trying to be selfish. I'm not trying to be self-centered. And I'm letting you know what's going on as opposed to holding this close because I'm afraid of how this might affect my career trajectory. Mm -hmm. So that it really goes back Mm -hmm. to this idea of what kind of culture are we creating? And do staff members feel like they can express themselves fully within that culture, even for conversations like that? Mm, And I really, I think that goes back to what you're saying about the board is what are the results that I need in my team? What are the results? Not mm-hmm. who do I need? Yeah. But what are the results? Mm-hmm. Um, that's, uh, this is such an interesting conversation. Honestly, um, I said this a lot. I could talk to you all day, but I think I really could because I think there are so many areas that we could we could do better on. I think, yeah. I think that's yeah. it. Like, like yeah. we could do better. And I think I- that's not, it's not because we're trying to do the wrong thing. It's just, it can come out wrong. Yeah. Um, and it takes time. It does take time. Mm. You know, I'm guilty of that um, idea of like, things need to move very fast in my own yeah. life and society. Um, like, I'm yeah. tired of it. I'm ready to move. But realistically, yeah. these things take time. So even if you're giving it your yeah. best effort, even if you're finding success, even if you're building momentum, mistakes happen. Discomfort is probably going to be the norm. And it just takes time. Mm. so 
how can people work with you? And obviously I'm going to give them all the links in the show yeah. notes and everything else, but, yeah. but what, what would somebody come to you and ask you to do? Yeah. So I like to say that, um, you know, to toot my own horn, like I'm a gifted facilitator in a lot of ways. So mm-hmm. I love having facilitated conversations. And some of that is, you know, no slides, you know, no necessarily like agenda where we're really kind of like you and I, we're, we're coming up with these scenarios, we're talking things out, we're understanding. So I've definitely did, done that for organizations, whether it's mm-hmm. processing a big event that's happened, like when we're sway got overturned here, you know, staff members needed to feel like they had somewhere that they could process. And not that they thought one way or another, yeah. but regardless of yeah. how they felt about that, whether they were happy or sad or in between, how do they process that? How does that play into, you know, their work and their feelings? Or it could be something along more general. Let's talk about, you know, the environment, the culture, mm-hmm. the ways in which we want to build as a team. So that's something that I do. And then also mm-hmm. I do workshops and trainings. But yeah. for me, um, there are two big things that um, I have to harp on in order to make them successful. One is that, um, well, three, they need to be fairly small. Yeah. So I'm happy to work with an executive team. I'm happy to work with this department. Yeah. But if we get beyond, you know, 25 people, it gets too unwieldy. And that conversation piece, that mm-hmm. deep understanding, that vulnerability, mm-hmm. that transparency, we lose all of that if we're in a room full of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm talking at them and not with them. And I, I do like this idea of talking to and with people and taking them along mm-hmm. in this journey. So it has to be small. Uh, the workshops or trainings. And for me, it's usually always a hybrid because I can't do a workshop without it being a training and vice versa. So a workshop training hybrid needs to yeah. be specific. It, like I love to, you know, let's bring in the company context. Let's talk about something specific about your DEI approach or your culture or, you know, mm-hmm. your, your team that is so unique. And that is where the problem is. Let's, let's work mm-hmm. that out. I don't want to generally talk about, um, you know, microaggressions. I don't want to generally talk about implicit bias yeah. and, you know, a very academic sort of like, here's what yeah. this means. Here's what this means. How does that apply in this team? To you. In this yeah, organization. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it has to be small. It has to be targeted. Uh, yeah, I think that's about it. That's enough criteria for today. So yeah, I, I you know, there's a whole yeah. breadth of race and gender things we can talk about and how they manifest. And I think if, you know, someone is listening and they're like, yeah, like I want something like this, but I don't know what. Um, let's talk. Let's figure out. Because I think there are many ways to go about having these conversations. And depending on where a person is or where a team is or where an organization is, in their journey, um, they might need different things. And so it's, it's not cookie cutter to me. Everything is kind of deep dive, customized, personalized um, to that organization, to their distinct issues. Because while we're all you know, having similar issues, they manifest differently and your organization is different. So that's what it comes down to. And then lastly, I do work with managers and leaders directly on how do I incorporate, you know, typical kind of leadership advice that I get, or even my experience so far, how do I make that adaptable and people-centered specifically around people of color, specifically around women, specifically around people in the intersections? And the intersections are super important. And maybe they haven't thought about that before, leadership and this people-centered approach that Mm. also takes into account race and gender, but that equity piece within leadership. Mm. Sorry. Yeah. The equity piece within leadership is something that I work Mm -hmm. with leaders specifically on as well to help them 
kind of tailor their leadership style to fit in mm. some of that race and gender stuff without losing the other aspects wow. that they've really honed over time. Wow. That's, that is phenomenal. And I, um, I want to say, Veronique, you know, I, um, I think, I genuinely think the work that you're doing, that you are doing and your courage in going out in the world and doing this work as an entrepreneur working for yourself is so important and so valuable. And I want to applaud you because we need this. Like so many organizations need this. So many people need it. It's going to add so much value. So I really hope that people who are listening to the show today, just think about it, take it into account, ask yourself the questions that Veronique has been asking. You know, what are we focusing on? Who are we focusing on? Do we have stereotypes? Do we have preconceptions? Do I need a bit of coaching? Do I need a workshop? Do I need something? Because I think it is so important. So just, yeah, I really applaud this work. I love this work. Um, I love the fact that you're changing the world. Mm, thank you. That's really touching. <laughs> I really appreciate that. I mean it. I I absolutely mean it. Now, I didn't prepare you. I didn't prepare you for this question. Actually, I didn't really prepare you for any of these questions. So um, <laughs> <laughs> we really didn't. We did, by the way, everyone, we did talk beforehand. We did have a chat and we kind of knew what we were going to talk about, but but we let it evolve because it was so yeah. fascinating. So, um, and um We've done very well because um, it's I think it's 11 p.m. here and it's 9 a.m. your time. So we've been at completely different time zones and we've managed <laughs> to be on the same page, which is phenomenal. Um, is but I, I, want to, I just want to ask a question. This is a fun one. I didn't prep you for it, but you're going to love the question. Are you ready for the question you're going to love? Okay. I think I'm ready. So, so Jason and I have a tradition on the eight mindsets that is everybody who is a guest on the show gives us their anthem of the week so what song oh, oh sums up i didn't even i didn't let you think about oh. it what song sums up your message and if you don't have it now oh. don't worry i'll add it in that later Begin my Ooh. Oh. i know it's fun though isn't it yeah so, you can think about it and come back to me and I'll add it on the end. Hi, everyone. It's Jason Meyer in Princeton, New Jersey. And Veronique, Nicole, what a dynamic and thought-provoking chat. I also thought it had the quality of a great learning experience because the two of you modeled the desired behavior. You were just having an open, frank, no judgments chat about DEI and what it means and what it feels like in real life. You showed us the kind of conversations that it would be great to have in our own organizations. We also asked Veronique for her ideas about a song to add to the eight mindsets playlist. That is our compilation of compliance anthems, great tunes that also carry a positive message for our fellow compliance professionals. Uh, you can find the playlist on Spotify. And Veronique, uh, just terrific choice. Veronique nominated Wings, the 2012 debut single from the British girl group Little Mix. The track was number one and a reality show winner in the UK. And no wonder it's got an infectious groove and a message of personal empowerment that should be powerful to compliance teams and to our audiences. Check out the chorus. 
Don't let what they say keep you up at night, and they can't detain you because wings are made to fly. And we don't let nobody bring us down. No matter what you say, it won't hurt me. Don't matter if I fall from the sky, these wings are made to fly. I love that Wings adds to the diversity of our playlist. Uh, we don't have nearly enough bubblegum R&B uh, on the tracks. And Veronique, I just can't get enough of the beat. Uh, maybe this gives away my own cultural background, but it immediately makes me think of a funky college marching band. And sure enough, if you want to dig for it, there's a stomp and YouTube video of the Iowa State band playing Wings in concert. Check it out. And Veronique, thanks again for this week's Compliance Anthem. Nicole? What I really, really, really got from this, just, just, just a few really amazing nuggets. Yeah, I love that. Is yeah. equality, we're not talking about equality, we're talking about equity. Mm. We're not talking about, we're talking about, um, we're, we're not talking about the caricature in our head. We're talking about the person, the human being. Mm. When we're talking about um, diversity, we're not asking who's the best person for the job. When we really, really get it, we're asking what is the outcome, what's the result that we want? Mm. And then those three amazing questions is who's in a room, who's excluded in the room, and why? Mm. Because the truth is... When we focus on our results, our outcomes, what, what we really want, that then lends itself to the type of person that we want to go and find. And we might be open. We might be more open than we think, and it allows us to be a lot more open. Um, yeah. I love I love how you broke down that first scenario um, when you talked about that public calling out, that microaggression. Those little things over time, but kind of everyone knows it's happening. Everyone knows it's happening. Yeah. And actually, you're right. It's not only about setting boundaries. It's actually about having the culture that make mm. it okay to say something so that you're yeah. not seen as somebody who is difficult or not a team player. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I think those were my nuggets. I mean, there, there are so many. I'm going to listen to it and just, you know, really digest. But um, thank you so much. We, no, thank we, you, you know, for having me. We covered boards. We covered individuals. <laughs> we covered people. We've covered mums. We've covered, we covered non-mums. Like, these are big topics. Yeah, they are. They really are. They're, they're massive topics. Uh, and, I, and I hope people can find parts of their experience or parts of their team's experience in this in a way that clicks and resonates because you know it's just the tip of the iceberg this like you said this is big stuff and uh, it's not easy but we're working at it we're working at it we're we're working we're gonna we're gonna get better we're gonna get better Veronique, yeah. i have enjoyed this so much i would love to have you back on the show in a few months time um learning more about what you do um once you know we, we we have I want I would like this conversation to evolve I would love to hear what our listeners think um, and I would love to get some more perspectives and for you to comment on that so let me kind yeah. of tee up something I've got some ideas I've got some thoughts in my head um, but in the meantime just thanks very much thanks for being thank on the show thank you so much I appreciate you so much thank you and that's a wrap we did it 
Oh, that, that was, was incredible. Amazing. That Thank was you really so incredible.